Welcome to Into Theology. <laughs> My name is Wyatt Graham, and I am joined by Ian Clary. Happy friggin' New Year. And I actually have food in my mouth because I'm eating pretzels. So this is a very good start time. Yeah. Happy New Year. Yeah. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going, well, I guess it's now similar to what we've done in the past. Yep. We're going to do a, uh, a few-week study on a biblical book, namely the book of Proverbs. We won't do the whole so book. Wise, we need to share our wisdom with everybody. Well, see, I was under the impression that you're so foolish that we needed you to be wiser to <laughs> improve right. the podcast. But it's actually more accurate. For sure. <laughs> it's more accurate. <laughs> um, no, we're we're both in need of wisdom. Um, me more so, I'm sure. We're gonna do the first nine chapters of Proverbs. They're kind of a self-contained unit, as it were, and it gives us, I don't know, just something manageable to tackle. So I think today we're just gonna kind of like it, we did this. What like was it a year ago or two years ago? When we did, we did Ecclesiastes and we did and Job. Job. So it just seems to make sense right. to wrap it with more wisdom literature. Right. Maybe we'll do Lamentations next. Who knows? Ooh, I thought we should do uh, Psalms. We should do. Yeah, the Psalms. Well, That's we could finish Proverbs literature. too, because we, um, and anyhow. Uh, so I think today we're going to talk maybe a little bit about just some general patterns that we saw, some cool verses, and maybe introduce um, wisdom literature in this podcast so Ian, did you have a verse that you thought was cool or two that you wanted to read out loud it could be anything pre preamble like just the first opening yep. seven verses uh that really it does it kind of sets the stage for the chapter chapter one and then and really for the whole book so and we can even talk a little bit maybe about authorship and, and that kind of thing too so um so proverbs one uh the proverbs of solomon son of david king of israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So lays out you know, the kind of like basic trajectory, verse seven, obviously a very famous verse is something of like the motto of the whole text, really, you know, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of, of knowledge and um, setting out like the contrast between the wise and the fool, uh, all that stuff's just kind of like baked right into, into these opening seven verses. So what do you think? Is Solomon the guy that did it? How's that work? I think that a lot of the Proverbs are his, um, but I don't think that he organized the Proverbs just simply because there's different collections already named in it, like Agar and so on later. Um, yeah, I think it's reasonable to say that they're his because it says so. <laughs> I, I don't think he sat down and wrote the book of Proverbs. I think he yeah. probably had many, and then these were organized by someone else who who thought they were useful and uh, put them in a, a way to to make them readable. I mean, the first nine chapters are essentially a father's advice to a son. Yeah. Now it's unique because it's a, uh, uh, a kingly figure as it were, but it's not unique in the sense of the, the wisdom's common, I think. Yeah. So the yeah, idea of having proverb type writing, they're usually very, very general and kind of like hard to tie into a particular region or right. person. It is interesting here that like, you know, it's it's mentioned right off the bat that he's Solomon and then he's the king of Israel. So it's really like localizing it for a particular people group. It's localizing but, it for the yeah, for Israel. Yeah. Which what is I understand is just from some of the reading that I've done, um, you know, that he he's 
it's a, it's ascribed to him. The vast majority of the proverbs were probably his. Usually, maybe because you don't normally write down a proverb, you know, it's probably given in speeches and things like that that came to be collected that represented him. And uh, but yeah, there's other is the there's what is it? There's the why is it, is it the wise of Hezekiah? I think uh, it's at a certain point that gets referenced. Yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's a group mentioned who organizes proverbs. I can't remember yeah. where that is in the book. Is it chapter thirty or something? Yeah, of Agar. Yeah, there's but, Agar. There's Lemuel gets mentioned as well. Good old Lemuel. Yeah, and so um, and we don't really yeah. know who they are. Yeah, there there is there is that kind of language um, in the book. So, and it's interesting. I I know I didn't know realize this, but it and it's you you could probably uh, correct me, but um, even with the proverbs or with Psalms, I didn't realize that sometimes you get like a, a couple of proverbs throughout the collection that are like exactly the same like it's almost the right. same oh yeah person. like doubles oh i see yeah and and so the argument and it, this happens in psalms too is that there are these varying collections that had been put together and so like a collection might have had this one verse in it and then another collection might have had the same proverb you know and then when they were put together that's why you get some repetition um, i don't know if that's true or not but yeah, and it's, I mean, you can do other things like you you can look at ancient Near Eastern proverbs and, and see that the, the genre is, is very similar, similar wisdom. And some people might say, well, isn't that an argument, you know, for like a negative argument towards the Bible because it's borrowing wisdom. But yeah. what's part it's partly silly because uh, Proverbs itself gives a sort of uh, twofold source of wisdom, namely from what we'd say revelation and from nature. Right. And so it's actually proof of divine wisdom that other people can discern it, sure. not that they can do it. I mean, one of the interesting things in Proverbs, I can't remember, I think it's in chapter three or four. It says that the fool yes, the fool actually does not choose the fear of the Lord. Right. But he kind of knows about it. Um, well, I think even when Lady Wisdom you know, calls out in the streets. It, well, it's actually 129 is what I was talking about. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, because it says they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the right. Lord without none of my counsel so they they yeah so they they uh there's a there's a tacit choice that that you have to be aware of your two options if you're right and it is interesting even if you look at chapter two and chapter one it's uh verse chapter two verse one it's my words my commandments earlier in chapter one i believe was my mother your mother's torah and my instruction yeah uh, is that verse eight here too okay and yet you see in chapter two and verse six uh, it's y'all. It's the Lord who gives wisdom, and I think this is because I mean God uses means as like a simple answer. Like parents are meant to teach their children wisdom. All wisdom has a source in God, and in particular, there there is some indication that there is some Torah in the background, but it's it's also just life experience wisdom, and you know that I mean in part for various reasons, but because. Um, for example, I think it's in chapter four. I'm just going to double check here. Yeah, chapter four, verse seven. The beginning of wisdom is this: get wisdom. <laughs> and then you find right after that, well, where do you get wisdom? Well, it says, look at the ant and be wise. Yeah. Or sometime in that yeah, chapter six and verse six. So you want wisdom? Look at the ant. So you know the Belgic Confession lays out two sources of truth: the Book of Scripture and the Book of Nature. And you sort of have a similar idea here where wisdom is is because there's one God, wisdom encompasses everything that he's made, whether that's the word as creature, meaning the Bible, or uh, nature as creature, me- meaning the universe around you. Yeah, yeah I mean, in that, that con- the concept drawn from the Belgian Confession goes right back through to like 
you know, Augustine who speaks right. like in, in book language. I was I think I was just reading in Bonaventure. Uh, I was reading his uh, soul's uh, soul's journey into God. And I think he makes the same sort of like distinction calling them two books, um, which was kind of cool. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an ancient, well, it's hey, just right. an ancient distinction. I mean, right. the, the, the interesting part, so that's funny. I, I was reading, was it this weekend? I think so. Um, this, this source book on Chinese philosophy. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, all right, you, all right, you've been hanging out with our friend Bayou too much. And he's, uh, it, it was literally a book called A Source Book in Chinese Philosophy. Wow. So it, it was not a very profound title, but um, it is what it is. But one, one thing you read in here, what they say is what people in the West also say. Right. Natural law, an order to the cosmos. Some people believe in something like God. The concept of Tao, which C.S. Lewis used, is very similar to natural law. All of this is just evidence that there is a God because he ordered everything. I mean, Isaiah 28 says, um, it talks about the farmer farming. And then the end that says the Lord teaches the farmer. And you're like, well, how did he teach the farmer? <laughs> and it wasn't second farmers 22, 29. It was <laughs> nature. Nature teaches. Um, so you, you see that throughout this book. And that's why it's, it's I think that's also why uh, the genre is in generalization. So you can train up a child in the way that he shall go and he will not depart from it. But sometimes they do. Or it says, if you fear the Lord, you're going to have material blessings. And that's often true because you live a wise life and you don't make foolish decisions to lose your money by gambling or something like that, or destroy your family by having an affair. But that's not always the case. I mean, the book of Job is also in scripture. Right. Yeah. Um. So I think that kind of helps you to read Proverbs by knowing there's a general common sense that Proverbs has common because everybody has access to it sense because it's accessible to the senses. And that is also divine wisdom, but it is less clear. I think as a Belgic confession says, than um, like scriptural or divine direct revelation, which is much more clear and articulates things at a level that you maybe could not know from nature. Interesting too. I mean, when when wisdom is laughing, you know, uh, verse twenty six of, of of chapter one. You know, I will I also will laugh at your calamity. I will uh, mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, <clears throat> interesting because like right before that, if you turn at wisdom's reproof, then wisdom pours out. Uh, spirit upon you and makes then uh, makes uh, her words known to you, right? So that's active on the part. If you do this, then I will give you this. But then the laughing at calamity and the mockery at terror doesn't seem like I'm going to terrorize you and then laugh at you. It's like, oh, you're going to make foolish decisions. Terror will come upon you as a result. And it's like, I'm going to say, look, man, I told you, <laughs> you know, if you turn to me, this wouldn't happen. And so it's like playing uh, the, the consequences of failing to heed wisdom will play itself out naturally. Yeah, I think you see that actually throughout. I mean, one of the interesting things that Proverbs does is it tells you if you live a righteous life, you'll live a healthier life. And if you live an unrighteous life, you'll you'll suffer. Like it's really interesting. Look at Proverbs 3, 8 or 3, 7 and 8. It says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom and turn away from evil and as a consequence, verse eight says it will be a healing to your to your flesh. The word there is actually navel to your stomach. 
and refreshment to your bones. Well, or medicine to your bones, literally, I think. And, um, or another alternative. So think about healing to your stomach or navel. It's like whenever have, whenever you do something wrong, you feel guilt, you feel anxiety, you feel less pressure. Well, there is a sort of natural harm that happens through doing evil. And the healing to your bones, I think, is also important. That there is, there's something, your whole person is tied together. And when there's a lot of natural consequences in life. In fact, the woman, I, I can't remember if we're in chapter whatever, four or five or six or seven or eight or nine. But there's a woman there who is enticing. I think it's actually chapter three at this point. And it says her her speech is like honey. But in fact, when you when you embrace her, like as an adulterer, yeah, it's, it's it becomes wormwood. Yeah. It's a poison. And that poison harms you. So sin is self-harm. And righteousness is um, the opposite of self-harm. It's building yourself up. It's, it's helping you. But everyone knows it's not just this isn't just like um, prosperity gospel stuff. This is just real life because you got to remember the context. The genre is common sense. So like if you are faithful to your wife and do your job well, you'll probably have a paycheck and your and your and your life will be stable. Right. That That's everyone knows that this that's divine wisdom, but it's also just generally true. There are exceptions that you can't control. I get that. But this isn't prosperity gospel because it's not like. God saying it's a hundred percent that you'll have like a thousand cows on a hill. If you just pray on Tuesday, the point is like, if you live this way, it's actually better for you. You have a better life. Um, you think about the billions of dollars spent on self-help in the self-help industry and gurus and life coaches. And the answer is they actually produce value off sometimes because if you live a wiser life, you have a better quality of life. And if you live a foolish life, you live a life of suffering often and wisdom rightly, as you noted in verse 26 of chapter one, I think mocks you, laughs at you. You make a mockery of wisdom while well, it will return upon your head. And I think a lot of probably younger men in particular, younger people know this older too, but I think usually make more mistakes earlier in life so that you can see it. I mean, you could probably think about just like excess drug abuse, which will wreck your body. It's funny, you know, like thinking about that, because uh, back in the day before I got right before I got saved. Right. So I was saved in uh, August of, I think, 96. And uh, right before that, the May 2-4 weekend. Um, so Victoria holiday in Canada. I got a party with all my friends. I mean, just went on a bender camping, the whole deal. And I can remember sitting in my mom's living room, staring at her kitchen, or sorry, I was sitting in her kitchen, staring at the floor. And there was an ant that like went across the floor and I'm looking at it and uh, totally burned out from the week. Like I could barely move. And um, I'm looking at this ant and it, it was, it's funny because whenever I read Proverbs and I read about the ant, I always think of this because uh, the ant was like this weird rebuke to me. You know, like it was like, oh, he has purpose. Like, look at him. He, you know, my mom's not got a huge kitchen, but relative to him, it was like he was crossing the Sahara Desert, you know, doing something for his colony or whatever. And I just, I just remember thinking, my life is utterly purposeless right now. And uh, I, from that, like, that's May 2 4, May 31st was my birthday. It was the last time I did any kind of like illegal substance. And then by August, I was saved. Like, it was crazy. And like, it's funny how nature and those sorts of things, right? Just the way it works can really have an impact on you and can, and can alter the course yeah. of your life. 
it also frees you up to say that ant was um in in a sense from god not mm. like in in like some weird mystical sense yeah, but it's just providence. In providence yeah that's why the ant is there for you to get wisdom yeah i i think in in a different set i a similar circumstance when i was a teenager is like you kind of you know do the parties and drinking but i just found like I, it was making me so unhealthy and i enjoyed athleticism that it was unwise because it wrecked my body and this is before I was necessarily like a dedicated Christian where I was, I wouldn't do that because it's wrong. I can remember back in the day being yeah. uh, in a prayer meeting with uh, your sister and her husband. And she's like, you gotta pray for my brother, Wyatt. And so, I mean, like before I even knew who you were, yeah. I was praying for you. That's funny that you pray for me before I, before I knew you. That's a weird that, thought, actually. I just, I just, it it just struck thought. me. Yeah. Um, which probably happens all the time with, in, in a sense, I just, I never it thought does. about that before and just, yeah. But I mean, that's all providence. And um, I also just think it, it, spirituality sometimes is more simple than we think. Like your aunt or my observation from athleticism was a way that God was talking to us. It wasn't salvific. Well, those those events alone were not salvific. You knew the gospel. That's not my point. But God, I think, can talk. I mean, this is the whole thing. Like, I'll just give you one example. Ahab and second. Ahab is like the middle of kings. He's bad news. Uh, him and Jezebel unite the southern and northern kingdoms under Baal. He kills the prophets with Jezebel, where she does in particular. But he assassinates Naboth. And then, um, you know, he gets threatened. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry for doing that. And God relents. <laughs> you know, there's just this weird. But he wasn't. But then he continued to do evil. Just ab evil, evil after that. Yeah. He wasn't in the way that we think of it saved. But God relented. And so there, I think there's a lot of times that God works with us in ways that are not directly salvific in the way that we think of it as evangelicals, but are true and real. I mean, Solomon's a great example. This guy right here, First Kings 3. The description of his reign is, he, he followed David, except he did not get rid of the high places. Next verses, he goes to Gibeon, the highest place of all, and sacrifices to Yahweh. And guess what happens? Yahweh says, thank you for the sacrifice. What do you want from me? Because you're a righteous man. And he says, I want wisdom. Yeah, weird. Yeah, it's funny when you think of it that way. Wow. Yeah, so then that's the famous wisdom story. He does what is wrong in God's eyes, and God still says yes. And you see it throughout throughout Kings and Chronicles. It, it, the, the whole story, in my opinion, is God is so merciful that he seems unjust. It's wow. weird. Gratuitous that he's gratuitous. Wow. You have kings is over like four hundred years, and you have one Jehu. But 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 also you have Ahab, who for decades with Jezebel, annihilates the prophets and worships Baal, and nothing happens. And Jehu's delayed because Ahab is a temporary story. It'd be like if Vladimir Putin after this war ends was like. Sorry, guys. And the world was like, ah, no big deal. Like, that's that's a weird part of it. But God's mercy is so gratuitous that he seems unjust, which is why I think in Romans 3, Paul says that God passed over sins previously so that at the cross, he could be both just by um, by satisfying justice in Christ and the justifier by showing mercy in light of this. And so the cross mm -hmm. actually explains why God seems unjust in Kings and Chronicles. Wow, that's cool. That's super helpful, man. I like it. Um, uh, I have I to go in like two minutes, so give a okay, really well, wise I'll thought. Just to make like a final kind of more philosophy point. Um, but back to what we were before, it's like, oh, well, like when you just kind of like get yourself, you know, get yourself in order, like Jesus would say, you know, make your bed or whatever. 
Um, but when you're when you're doing those sort of basic things and you're kind of aligning yourself with just reality, um, you do flourish, right? And and pagan philosophers can see this. You think of like Aristotle's whole concept of you know eudaimonia. It's like you just kind of like orient yourself to reality and live in the flow of it instead of cutting against the way God, as we would say it, uh, has made things, then um, the, the natural just progression, the way God's made the universe and reality to function is that you'll just prosper. You're not, it's not absolute and there's going to be other things that could happen, but generally speaking, you're just going to, you're going to flourish, you know, and that, that's, that's what it's about. Now here, obviously it's flourishing under God himself. So it's not just like a, a generic concept of you. No, Proverbs is it adds it's a plus. Yeah, yeah. But but it's not it doesn't minimize I think the the general sense of human flourishing, meaning if you if you're a son who's wise, and you enjoy your own fountains, meaning your own wife of your youth, yeah. and not others, your life will be much more satisfying. You you probably know people who have split up or divorced or whatever. It's very stressful. It's financially yeah. ruined some. And you probably lose with the legal proceedings two to three years of your life, yeah. which is and then, huge. And then your kids are destroyed. And your kids are affected often. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 ways to do it. I think that's better and worse. But I but I agree. Like it's it's never as good as a healthy marriage. Yeah. And but that's so the thing is like you have to actually care about that um, as a Christian, and not just say, well, all I care about is someone getting saved. It's like yeah, but you don't want you want them to live a good life and be saved. <laughs> Like, of course, they're going to. I mean, Job is an example of a good life despite his suffering. It doesn't mean that you you, you will avoid all, all suffering, but it does mean that you'll, generally speaking, live a wise life where wisdom doesn't mock you, as you read, but wisdom actually rewards you. And that's the way God created the cosmos. It makes sense. That's why a farmer can learn from farming, or an ant can teach us to work hard, or in your case, to you know, to have purpose. So. All right, friend, I got to go. I'm going to go jump into the snow <laughs> and then I got to go teach a class. There's a lot of wisdom in that one, I'm sure. I literally am about, anyways, we'll, yeah. we'll explain offline. Okay, bye, friends.